Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. As always, I am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. Um, okay, this this week I'm going back to music because it seems like right now music is kind of a really, kind of taking a really big part of my life. Um, I seem to fall back on it a lot between playing you know, learning the bass and just listening to a lot of music, listening to a lot of music to kind of keep myself level. <clears throat> so this this topic I've decided to to discuss on this one um, actually came from lately. I've decided I'll turn on Spotify and I'll just choose a band and I'll go through their entire discography. You know in order of, you know, in order of release. And, um, there's been a couple of them I've listened to and I'm like, okay, I, I think I've got a topic here. And that is, um, bands that have changed their lead singers. And if not are better for it, at least they still made it work. Cause most of the time a lead singer change cannot work if they keep the same name. And I do kind of break that a little bit on this one. Um, Jesus, my mic is weird today. Um, so yeah, for for this one, I'm uh, I'm going with with the, you know, can a lead sh- singer change work? And proofs, like you know, I, I found a couple bands. I found proof that a lead sh- singer can't change can work because Lord knows there's plenty that prove they can't. Um. So yeah, let's get into this. Um, so starting off, I'm going to start with the one I feel like is the perfect example of a lead ch- singer change that works, and that is Iron Maiden chain getting uh, having uh, Bruce Dickinson replace Paul Diano. I think is how you pronounce the the first lead singer's name. Um, and I had never until just recently listened to the first two albums because I'd heard of Paul Diano and I just, you know, I, the two albums, like Bruce Dickinson is the voice of Iron Maiden. I mean, let's face it, you know, he was there even before I was born. So like, and all, almost all of the iconic music out of Iron Maiden has come from Bruce Dickinson. Um, so yeah, so we'll go with that one. Um, which, uh, in, um, yeah, so when they started, they were you know they released their first two albums in eighty and eighty one, which was self titled Iron Maiden album and Killers, which I think they're okay. But like I said, it's just like maybe because I've always heard Bruce Dickinson first. Paul Diano's rough, um, and the studio quality kind of seems a little rougher on him too. I mean, there was some good music, and I don't think he's horrible. It's just it's not the Iron Maiden I remember. So in 1982, uh, I really didn't find why Diano left. I think it was something to do with voice. Um, I want to say it was like there's something going on with his voice or something like that. He couldn't keep up with the, the touring schedule. And so, uh, I cannot remember. I think Adrian Smith, the guitarist who was pretty much, you know, the core of the band 
I want to say it's Adrian Smith. I'm going to feel bad if I'm wrong on that name. But anyways, um, he found Bruce Dickinson playing for another band, Saxon, which I've, I keep kind of wanting to go back in here because I like Bruce Dickinson as a vocalist so much. I kind of like to hear what he was before he was Iron Maiden. But uh, in 1982, they released the first album and probably the most iconic album of Iron Maiden's career, in many people's eyes at least, and that's Number of the Beast. That was the first album to have Dickinson on them, on it, and it just, to me, that is where they found their sound. Like I said, Diano wasn't bad. The first two albums, were, they're really okay. You know, they're they're just not great, where... Like the three, like three of my favorite albums of my three favorite albums of Iron Maiden's career kind of came out of the first three albums that they had with him, which would be Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, and Power Slave, which of course I have the <clears throat> the uh, Egyptian Eddie tattooed on my forearm, so apparently I really like Power Slave. Um, although... My favorite all-time song by uh, by Iron Maiden would probably be Fear of the Dark. There's just something about that song. It is badass. But yeah, so in uh, 1982, he replaced him uh, with after only one tryout. Um, and yeah, it was it was the sound that defined you know it, it's that sound that defines uh, defines Iron Maiden. I mean. Diano had a more gruff vocals where Dickinson has this really like somewhat operatic feel to it. Like, you know, he has a lot more epicness to his vocals in my eyes. And I think that's what sells it combined with the power metal that is Iron Maiden at the core. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, I, I don't know too many people who were really, who really, you know, like I, I haven't talked to anybody who's really been a fan of or who would really defend the first two albums. I'd really like to hear it because I'd like to hear other people's standpoints on it. Um, and I know later on, like I didn't do the research on this one, but I know at some point in time, I have heard the two album, the two or three albums they did with Blaze Bailey after Dickinson left the band. Didn't do the research to see why. Um, and those albums really didn't sell well to me either. It's like his voice. Once again, it's just, it's so different, but the core music was the same and his voice to me doesn't fit that Iron Maiden sound as well as, you know, Dickinson always will. So Needless to say, you know, the albums after Dickinson came back, you know, however many albums they've put out afterwards, I've lost track, have all been great as well. Um, like I said, I don't want to take away anything away from Paul Diano or Blaze Bailey. I mean, they both have their their style that is that is unique. It's just it's not that iconic Iron Maiden sound to me. Um, yeah, this one's probably going to be a little rambly because you know it, I, I, tr I really struggle sometimes to find my words on how this speaks to me so yeah um, but yeah plus I mean 
could you get more badass than the just the image of Bruce Dickinson roller skating through a parking lot, practicing singing the set list for that night's show? I have not seen any footage of this, but I've heard about it. And that just sounds like the most epic thing known to man. Like, I would love to see footage of Bruce Dickinson just roller skating through a parking lot, singing the Iron Maiden set list to warm up. (laughs) It is both funny and awesome at the same time. Um, So, yeah, so for my next one, I'm going to go a a, a little more recent because this band was formed in 2000. Uh, or sorry, 99, um, off the heels of two other metalcore bands. I didn't write down the two bands that they came out of, but, and that is kill switch engage and the replacing of Jesse Leach with Howard Jones. Um, I really don't care for the Jesse Leach stuff. I mean, I mean, the man's probably got to have his fans. I mean, they brought him back after Jones left to start. I can't remember what the the band he's in now. Um, Light the Light the Torch, I believe, is what it's called. And I really like that stuff. But it's like there's something about Howard Jones because, like, with to me, Jesse Leach was just so like the screams were good, but he didn't have a good voice away from that to me. Where with Howard Jones, he gave them a new a new feel and. Um, so let me see. Let me look at my notes here. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of got written down like the first two albums, um, which were self-titled and Alive or Just Breathing, were both moderately successful. They were, they're not, you know, like they, they definitely got the name out there. Um, but then midway through touring for Alive and Just Breathing, Jesse Leach had a had some depression issues and bowed out via email, I guess. At least that's what Wikipedia says for as much as you can trust Wikipedia. Um, Which kind of rubbed the rest of the band wrong, but I don't know. Um, And so they had some replacement singers just finish off a tour, if I remember right. And then when they were ready to start finding their new lead singer, they had approached Howard Jones because he was in another band that they really liked. But Howard Jones, I guess at first was like very resistant to it. He's like, nah, it's, you know, it's not my thing. You know, he felt, they felt they sounded too polished to him coming from a, a hardcore metal background. Um, but I guess like as he, as he thought about it and he listened to their stuff, he really kind of started feeling where he could fit in with this Paul, you know, this more clean slash polished sound, which, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm all about like, I, I respect some like really rough recordings, especially when it comes to punk rock, like, you know, like the misfit stuff, early misfit stuff. It has that really like kind of very unpolished sound. And that serves really well for a, for a punk band. Same with, you know, like freaking the sex pistols only had one album and that album is not a clean recording, but man, is it a good, a good album. But that fits for punk, where I don't feel like with most metal, the really unpolished feel serves it very well sometimes. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Like, you know, Kill 'em All is a, is a good record. I can't take that away from Metallica. But I really think that the reason 
Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, other than their their songwriting got so much better in those two albums, was the album started getting a lot more cleaned up. You know, you didn't have the the real echoey sound to it. Um, but yeah, so uh, Howard Jones comes in and he brings he also brings a more melodic side to it. Um, you know, he he brought in a much better clean vocal to the to the to his screams which i feel like his vocal range especially on um end of heartache and as daylight dies he he makes you know like he takes what they could do musically and he gave them like the next level i mean there's got to be a reason that those the three albums with him sold better I don't, nothing against Jesse Leach. I know, uh, you know, Jesse Leach came back after Howard Jones also had to leave the band because of, uh, diabetes. And I remember hearing an interview where he was having, he might've been manic depressive, but he was having issues controlling that with the nonstop touring schedule and all these, all these things that kept adding up to the point that he, you know, he, he had to call it, he had to get himself clear, before, you know, get himself cleaned up before he, well, I shouldn't say cleaned up because that sounds like he's on drugs, but he had to get himself fixed before he could do this any more of this. Um, and from everything I found, it was very amicable when he did it. You know, they, they put out a press, you know, like a press release saying, Hey, you know, Howard left, he needs to work on himself. You know, we wish him the best. There's no, no hard feelings. We understand why he had to do it. And nobody knew who was going to, like, everybody thought the lead singer of Every Time I Die was going to come in and replace him. But if I remember right, he wasn't interested at that point in time. I guess he was interested when Leach first left. But um, anyway, so they bring they brought back Jesse Leach. And I have not heard any of the new albums since he's come back. And maybe maybe I'll go in, maybe that's the, maybe that's the next thing I'll have to do is I have not listened to their whole discography in a while. So maybe I'll do that one of these nights is I'll sit down and put that one on and let that just play out. Um, currently I'm in the middle of Iron Maiden and that's a large discography to burn through. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll give those, those latter, at least, you know, try to give those, I think they've released two more albums since Leech came back and I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with that. Just out of curiosity now that I think of it, but, um, you know, end of heartache is, probably one of my favorite albums they put out. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Jesus, I'm losing the, the names of albums here. Off the top of my head. That's what I get for doing this when I'm so tired. Uh, yeah, I don't even have it written down. Jesus Christ. Me. Well, anyways, end of heartache and as daylight dies, that was the other one. Um, as daylight dies is a really good album. I haven't, I think I've listened to once the second self-titled album, which was the, the last album they did with Howard Jones, but like his sound seems so like took them to the next level. So I see it as a, I see it as a, as an improvement, but I I really don't want to focus on like saying, Oh, this guy's better than this one, you know, cause this is all just my taste. So like, and, and just, just for anybody who knows out there, I'll say I stand strong on both Bruce Dickinson and Howard Jones being the, the lead or the better lead singer for the band. But 
I'm also willing to hear arguments the other way because I'd love to. He- I, I like to have a conversation with somebody who has the other point of view. Maybe I'll maybe I'll find something through that that I haven't found on my own. Um, so yeah, and I mean, yeah. So I mean, they had what a good five years. I want to say it was with they put out f- three or four albums with. Uh, yeah, I can't. I don't have it written down here, but you know, they did, they did at least three or four albums with Howard Jones in this period of time. And I think it's, I think it's their best work. There's a reason I've, I've picked up light the torch, which originally started out as another band, but I can't remember what they call it, but they had to change their name. But anyways, look up Howard Jones. He's an awesome, awesome singer. And every interview with, I've heard the guy with the guy, he is just an awesome person from the sounds of it too. Um, then again, so is Bruce Dickinson from the few interviews I've seen of his. Um, okay. This one's kind of a little bit of a, of a stretch because this one does involve a band name change, but I'm still going to stand strong by my statement on this one. And that's, uh, Miles Kennedy replacing Scott Stapp in Creed. Even though, yes, they changed their name to Alter Bridge when they did it, but the entire rest of the band stayed or came back for it. And Alter Bridge is a much superior product to Creed. Um, I think My Own Prison is a damn good album, but it's really kind of marred by the person that Scott Stapp became. And I have problems. I, mean, I, I, lo- I love that album. I can still listen to that album. But man, it's hard for me to to kind of reconcile like that. And I kind of felt like they were they didn't really have like when when, when they became Ultra Bridge and they added Miles Kennedy on vocals and on rhythm guitar, they found a whole new sound to that band that is just to the next level. Um I mean, yes, Creed put out what, four albums? I think it was three or four albums with Scott Stapp and my own prison and human clay were both pretty good albums. Although human clay started to kind of, was kind of to me, I saw the writing on the wall that they were going to kind of start falling off because it became less about the musicality to me and more about Scott Stapp really kind of pushing a, a it felt a little too religious, um, which isn't a problem. I mean, I, 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 now I sound like I'm anti-religion. Um, I just don't prefer when religion is too far pushed into a a a, a, mu- a band. Um, like I won't go out and find jars of clay or anything like that. But like I have a a friend who, or well, I shouldn't say a friend, but he's somebody I went in high school with, and he was in a. a Christian hardcore band, but none of their songs were singing, you know, singing about God or really kind of very obviously Christian where I feel with human clay, there were a couple points where that got pretty, uh, pretty religious in my eyes on some of the stuff, but that might just be, maybe that's just me reading into stuff, but, um, but yeah, so like, you know, that Creed did their three or four albums, um, and then after like three years of basically just not knowing what's going on, Scott Stapp finally just said he has no interest in not, you know, in continuing with Creed. Um, 
but they the rest of the band led by mark tremonti who is an amazing guitarist and really didn't get to show what he could do in creed if you ask me um brought the rest of the band back together and then they also he had also already started work i guess doing some work with miles kennedy and so they just basically created it created you know brought back the rest of creed he comes in adds rhythm guitar adds a different vocal styling they really bring the rock to the forefront um to the point that i feel like it's a much more a much better sound to me um as well as you know then of course like i said they changed their name to ultra bridge named after i guess a a bridge in tremonti's hometown on alter street so ultra bridge i guess it makes sense um but yeah so yeah it was kind of this i remember when i first heard ultra bridge i had no idea they were even somewhat tied to creed and then like i i think it was when here we go i'm gonna talk to wrestling for a second um which i could actually go back to on the previous mention too which i might just in a second here but um the first time i heard ultra bridge i think was when edge came out to meddling started coming out to metalingus in wwe and i'm like who is this who does this song i thought it was just a wwe song and then i found out it was a band ultra bridge so i started you know looked it up i loved that song listened to the whole rest of that album but then i uh, found out later i'm like oh shit this is creed just without scott step that's awesome but i wouldn't even guess they were even close to the same band because of how different they were sounding to me um so maybe that doesn't i mean does it count that they're that it's just you know it's a lead singer change when they didn't keep the name i think it does but and the, you know and, and i'm setting the rules i guess so yeah it does in my case but you know maybe you don't feel that way i don't know but uh you know then to the other ww thing i mean maybe it's another another proof but uh I don't hear any Jesse Leach songs being used as entrance songs for CM Punk in WWE. Like, uh, oh, uh, this fire, yeah, this fire by uh, by Killswitch Engage, which was Howard Jones singing, and that is a badass song. Originally it was supposed to be for some other wrestler, but it ended up being used on CM Punk, and I think it's I I preferred that entrance over him using Cult of Personality. Not that I don't like Cult of Personality, that song is awesome, but it just doesn't it just doesn't strike me as a good uh, good wrestling theme to me. But hey, he's still using it now, so I guess that's something. Um, so yeah, that is my my third one would be Ultra Bridge coming out of the the decimation that was Creed. Um, okay, uh, now this one I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little bit of a caveat on there because there's technically two lead singer changes in this one that I really liked. Although one of them a little less than other. And then also I do not agree with the band, like one of the members politics, which I just found out about while I was taking notes on this one. Um, and that's iced earth when they brought in Matt Barlow, I did not want to bother tracking all the lead singers they had because it seems like for their first like two or three albums, they had a bunch of lead singers. Um, and that's just under the Iced Earth name. I guess they originally called like the Rose or Iron Rose or something. I can't remember, I can't remember what it was, but they had several lead singers on that one. But Matt Barlow, 
when he stepped into that that thing, like they they hit an American version of Iron Maiden sound that I love, um, especially Dark Saga, which is probably one of my favorite concept albums that's ever put out put out there. It's got to be right up there with Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche, which is another amazing. Listen to it front to back. You get a story. But with Dark Saga, it was a little easier to understand the story going on because it's basically they took the story of Spawn up to a certain point, of course, and turned it into an album, like wrote songs that kind of told the story of Spawn. And it is badass. But um, I think Burnt Offerings was his first album. But like, yeah, dude, he, he did four albums in five years with them or five albums in four years or four albums in five years. Um, yeah, four albums in five years with Barlow and just his vocals to me were once again, he had, he had the ability to do subtlety. He had the ability to just sound like he's going to tear your face off, but he never got that like death growl. It was just, he had that, that power in the voice when he really let it go. Um, and yeah, so for those four albums, uh, was it, there is burnt offerings, dark, uh, dark saga, which is really good. Something wicked this way comes is a really strong one. Um, haven't heard a whole lot from horror show, which was the last album he actually recorded with them before leaving. But it was, I know it was like a lot of like based on horror theme, you know, horror movies. So they had, I think they had one called like Transylvania and they had like, other things like that um but sadly uh barlow left the band after the attacks at 9 11 because he he want he he felt a different calling he ended up becoming i think as a police officer in his hometown because it's just like he saw these attacks and it changed he realized he realized he loves music but he wanted to focus on something else um so he left and actually the person they got to replace him, I think their albums are really good too, which is Tim Ripper Owens of famous, famously replacing, uh, Rob Halford and Judas priest, which they are not on this list because the little I've heard of Tim, Tim Owens with, with Judas priest, I was not a fan of. However, his, his two albums, I believe he did with them two or three are just solid. Um, in fact, the first one he actually recorded while he was still with Judas priest, which was, uh, the glorious burden, which kind of tells us story. like, I noticed a lot of their albums do tell a story. If you really listen, like they may not tell a, a straight narrative, like a, a true, uh, concept album would, but they do tell kind of a story. So like with glorious burden, I mean, you have a lot of, a lot of the theme is around, you know, the civil war and, but it has this epic feel to it. Um, and yeah, so and I think it's, I think it's some of the best work, the, some of the best vocal work I've ever heard Ripper pull out. But once again, that's just my take on it. Um, and I think they actually, after, yeah, I do have it here. Uh, after Owens left, they did bring Barlow back for one more album to finish off the, I can't, I want to say it was called the something wicked trilogy because they did the first one with Barlow. The second one was, was with, um, Owens and they finished off. They brought Barlow back for the third piece. And 
And they've also brought in a they also brought in a lead singer after Barlow left again, who I think was hit and miss. Like I think that they had a couple really really good songs with him, but they also had some that I'm like, eh, not my thing. But who knows? Maybe I'll dig through their catalog at some point in time too, because it's been a while since I've dug through their their catalog as well. Um, but yeah, if, if you like power metal though, give Iced Earth a look and. Because American power metal really isn't as strong as you know, like the British power metal scene. Let's face it, but man, this is their their stuff is solid to me, especially the stuff with Barlow. Um, okay, so let's go a little more extreme, shall we? Um, I had heard of a band called Carcass back in the day. It's you know, it was like, I think a, a buddy had one of their albums. And I remember the, the album cover caught me because it had this like piece of art done by, um, HR Giger, which of course is weird as hell. But, um, and I listened to it and it was, it was probably one of the first like really technical death metals I'd ever heard. Cause I mean, most death metal, you know, like cannibal corpse love them, but they're, they're not really, there's not really the the emphasis on extreme guitar work. It's really kind of jammingous. It's more about the the spectacle of the of the 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 music and everything. Where with Carcass, it was like you, know, you had these intricate guitar works and timing changes that were ridiculous. Um, but uh, the I want to say it was the guitar guitarist of carcass when they broke up went off and formed a band arch enemy and their first like two or three albums they had a lead singer named i'm probably gonna massacre this because they are swedish uh johan liva l-i-i-v-a um and they released like i said they released uh three three albums with him. Uh, the first one never even got released in America originally. And the second two, like were the first two to actually kind of get, I think, uh, I think it was actually the second album made it out of Sweden, but never didn't make a whole lot of it to, um, I think it was like harder to get over in America where Wages of Sin, their third one, was the one that really got put out into, um, got put into, or no, Wages of Sin, sorry, was their, okay, Black Earth was their original. I don't have it written down. Okay, anyways. Uh, um, but yeah, so their second and third albums, I can't remember which ones they were now off the top of my head. Apparently I didn't write down as much as I thought I would. Um, but yeah, halfway as it's each, what I have it written down. Um, yeah, but they formed in, well, I didn't even write down when they formed, uh, they formed in late nineties. I know that, but, uh, in 2001, they released their first album with the newer lead singer who, when I first heard Arch Enemy, I had no clue it was a fe- it was a female lead singer. I just heard the powerful vocals and was like, this is awesome. Um, it was a little higher pitch to me, but it was, there was something just, like driving about it, you know, like she's, 
she hit those vocals and it just, you know, it went straight to your soul and, you know, it felt like you're being punched in the face at points. Um, and so she, they stood out to me and the first album I had heard was, uh, doomsday machine, I believe is no, uh, something plague of, Oh, I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. I don't have it written down. Anyways, I heard the, uh, I heard some stuff on like a compilation and I'm like, dude, I got to find more of this band. And so I started buying more of their, I started buying some of their stuff and dude, that's when I figured out that it was a, a female singer. And I'm like, that's even more badass Cause I, I, I really don't like, I really don't have any opinions on like, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great female fronted melons, but I think she is my favorite as far as like extreme metal front women like i haven't heard too many front women that i think can can really keep up with angela gossow um who i guess she was in another band at the time but she's uh and she's the only member of the band that wasn't swedish uh she's german i guess which is awesome uh and yeah he left the band was replaced by angela um i feel that her vocals were were a lot better um i feel that they're maybe it's also just maybe they just got a better production behind their music too i never take that out of consideration either that like sometimes you just have you know like maybe they got a better record deal just before they brought her on and that gave them better studio time i don't know um though i will put out that the close second as far as female lead singers is I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name uh, is from a Ukrainian metal band called ginger uh, Tatiana. Yeah. I'm not going to try to pronounce her name. It's really hard for me to figure out. Um, but yeah, dude, she's hot on her heels. Cause dude, she, but, but Tatiana also brings in a lot more clean vocal. Angela Gossow is pretty much straight up just growls where Tatiana will go from this really like innocent, like almost um, like innocent or uh, vulnerable sounding vocals to just extreme blow your face off death growls. So that just pure, just that alone really, really sells her to me. Plus, I've seen a couple interviews with her, and she seems like she's a really cool person. Like, I think every a lot of these, a lot of the bands, like I, I will also go into the fact that interviews I've seen with these with the singers I'm talking about, most of them have also been really awesome people. So I think that's kind of another thing is maybe that colors me a little bit. I don't care. Um, if you're a good musician, that's great. If you're a better, if you're a good person, that's even better. Um, sorry, I'm messing with my head headphones. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh the the what three albums, maybe four albums that uh Angela did before she left cuz she wanted to focus on her family. Um but like you know, like she was such a part of the band. She even kept on as like their manager and helped them find the replacement lead singer in Allison White Klutz, I think is how you pronounce it. Um no, I'm I'm kind of meh on Allison, I haven't heard enough to 
really have a, a, a true opinion on her music, but yeah, the maybe I've kind of noticing a pattern here. Most of these bands had replacements after the people I really liked. Anyways, um, but yeah, no, I thought I thought she brought a better vocal styling to the to Arch Enemy, you know, Arch Enemy's sound. Um. So yeah, I'll go. I'll just end that there because I know I'm rambling at this point in time. Um. Okay, I I don't feel you can do a list like this without the next two I'm going to talk about. The first one is ACDC. They had no choice with Bon Scott passing away the way he did. Um, but they had some like killer music with Bon Scott. I love Bon Scott's voice. I prefer the Bon Scott stuff over the Brian Johnson stuff, even though I heard Brian Johnson first. Cause the first interactions or first time I heard uh, ACDC was actually uh, the ACDC live album they did, which is still one of my favorite live albums. Um, but Bon Scott had a very unique style, and like I loved watching the behind the music talk about ACDC and how like they weren't going to continue; they were going to stop after Bon Scott passed away. But I think it was like Bon Scott's family got a hold of. Ooh, Jesus. Um, Angus and uh, Malcolm and told them that they were they you know they, they feel that Bond wouldn't want them to stop just because he died so they went and they found you know being an Australian band they found a I want to say he's Scottish lead singer in Brian Johnson and I think the best part was he sounds close enough to Bon Scott that he can do the Bon Scott stuff, but he's also got his very own unique sound to his voice. I mean, sure, he sounds like he's trying to shoot his lungs out through his mouth when he sings sometimes, but, you know, Back in Black is an iconic album for a reason. Um and it, it, it's weird to think that most of that album was already written, I guess, before Bon Scott passed away. They just never got around to recording the vocals. Um, but, and, and it's, I mean, it's, it is one of the perfect proofs of like an iconic band has an amazing lead singer, something happens and they, they decide to replace him and it works out for them. Um, I mean, there's, there's still, well, I guess they're really not going strong now because Malcolm's passed away. And I know for a while there, Brian was away for, I want to say it was illness. Um, and I never heard any of the stuff like, well, Axl Rose was singing for them on concert, but that just didn't sound like it would appeal to me. Um, I did hear good reviews about it, but yeah, I just had no interest in hearing Axl Rose do Axl Rose things in front of ACDC. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Highway to Hell and Back in Black are my two favorite ACDC albums. I mean, it's the last album of Bon Scott and the first album of Brian Johnson. Those are, that's got to mean something. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it is sad that they, that Bon Scott passed away, especially the way he did. I mean, yeah, he was, he lived a, a wild life and he died in a car because he 
his buddy couldn't get him out of the car. He was so, so messed up from drugs and alcohol. And he, so his buddy let him sleep in the car and he choked on his own vomit. I mean, is there a more metal death? I guess probably not, but it's still sad. Um, but I think they came out on the, the top side on that one. Like I said, I mean, Brian Johnson has killed it as a lead singer. And I mean, there's a lot of iconic images that to the point that I'm kind of shocked that more people don't realize Bon Scott ever existed because it seems like most of the pictures you see of ACDC are actually from the Brian Johnson years. As weird as that is, but you know, maybe it's because, you know, he came on in 1980 and it's been what 42 years with him now. But, um, which brings me to my other one, another sad passing that, you know, could have been the end of a band. And after going through and listening to the later stuff, I'm kind of glad it wasn't is, uh, Allison Chains. I mean, um, I was not a, I was not, I was a stupid kid at one point in time. And like, I, if I only listened to like extreme metal, I didn't bother touching anything else. But I remember hearing about Lane Staley passing away, and I remember hearing little things from Alice in Chains growing up through, like, my sisters, because they had the grunge stuff going on at one point. And so when he passed away, I'm like, okay, I kind of want to look at this, because I noticed the, the reaction it had on the world, like the music world, to the point that I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to investigate this and i remember the first thing i got was i actually got a dvd of the music bank which is just like basically like all their music video intercut with uh, music videos intercut with like interviews with them and stuff like that and i was surprised at how many songs i knew without knowing i knew them and how many songs were just they weren't like heavy as like, I mean, don't get me wrong. They had some heavy songs as far as like the musicality, but they also had some heavy songs and like, you know, rooster is a really slow song, but that is a heavy song. Um, you know, there's, there's probably a reason, you know, these, this, this Allison chains has had such an effect on me. There's probably a reason I have the, you know, I have the AIC logo tattooed on me. I have, you know, I'm learning Allison Chain songs as some of the first songs I wanted to learn on bass, and it's awesome. I mean, but anyways, you know, Lane Staley, if you don't know, he was, you know, very, very publicly in a battle with heroin addiction, probably other things too, but heroin was a big one. Um, in fact, most of their best album, Dirt, like he did a lot of song around that, and almost all of the songs he wrote had some bearing on his his addiction. Like Angry Chair really kind of comes off as somebody who you know who's struggling with the addiction and he's fighting it, but he loses and he gives in. And so it's kind of a fight, you know, the song kind of comes off as a fight between him and his addiction. And sadly, in 2000, uh, wow, uh, 
2002. Yeah, 2002. I think it, I didn't have it right down. That's weird. I don't. But like in 2002, he lost his battle with addiction. And sadly, he was found 14, 14 days after he had passed. Um, and it was ruled he died from an overdose of a, of a um, heroin and cocaine. I can't remember what that's called. Is speedball or highball, something like that. But, you know, he he lost his battle and Allison Chains appeared. It was going to be no more. I mean, and, it, and I, I got to wonder how much that hurt the rest of the band, because I know the rest of the band were always like very much at his side trying to help him. But it seems like from everything I read around the time, like his girlfriend had passed away recently. So he kind of he fell off and some of the other members had, you know, were, were still had lives and they, you know, so they, they weren't able to keep in touch with him at the point in time. And it was, it was a bad time to not be able to keep in touch, I guess. Um, but yeah, anyways, so we'll get to a, a, a more bright spot to this. And that's that in uh 2014, or 2006, 14 years after the death of Lane Staley, Allison Chains came back with a new co-lead singer, I'll say, because really, from listening to them, Jerry Cantrell and William Duvall both sing on these albums. Kind of similar to the way Lane Staley and Jerry did for the latter albums with, with Lane Staley. Um, a lot more harmony between the two. Um but yeah, I, I was I was incredibly resistant when I heard Alice in Chains came back with a new lead singer. So much so that like I just maybe three years ago gave the new stuff a chance. Like I just couldn't I'm like, no, it's 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 not Alice in Chains without Lane Staley. I can't do this. Um and I was also really worried that William Duvall was gonna be somebody who's just doing a uh Lane Staley in, uh, impersonation, like just trying to do Lane Staley so they'd have that sound. And I had finally heard, oh, what was uh, Black Make Way, Black Makes Way to Blue, or Blue Makes Way to Black, or whatever the the first album with him was. And I'm like, okay, this is keeping their sound. But William Duvall added more of a rhythm guitar because they only had rhythm guitar every now and then. Um, in the early stuff, and it was usually on songs that Lane Staley had written because he'd play the he'd play guitar as well as Jerry. Um, but it has a really good sound, and I was really surprised at how like I I was happy I should say that it was good music, and it does it does justice to Alice in Chains name. It's not straight up. I don't feel it's still straight up the grunge, but then again, I never felt, I always kind of felt bad that Alice in Chains got kind of titled with the grunge because there were bands that were grunge and then there were bands that weren't, but just came out of the same place at the same time. So they got labeled grunge like Nirvana was grunge. Um, Alice in Chains had grunge aspects, but I really feel they, they transcended grunge, just like I feel like uh, Soundgarden did at points. Um, another band that lost tragically lost their lead singer more recently, and much sadder. Well, I guess at the same same sadness level, but 
you know, Chris Cornell was a big loss as well. I mean, the fact that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't be happy enough that he hung himself. Unless you subscribe to conspiracy theories, but I'll keep those away from this for right now. Um, you know, Chris Cornell had an amazing vocal range, but, you know, that's maybe that's one thing that Chris Cornell and Lane Sealy both had. They both had a vocal range or styling that was unique. Nobody can do a Lane Staley, do Lane Staley. Nobody can do Chris Cornell. I mean, you want to, you want to hear proof that, um, Chris Cornell was so unique. Listen to his takes on nothing compares to you and, uh, Billy Jean. They are amazing songs. Really, really stripped down to being a lot small, a lot slower, but man, the emotion he put out there. And I think that's what Lane Staley came out. I was like, you could feel the emotion, whether it be anger, uh, sadness, just a, a general melancholy. They put that music out there where there's a lot of bands that, you know, they put the lyrics out there and there's some, some heaviness to lyrics, but they don't really have weight with the delivery. You can't say that about Lane Staley, but at the same time, I feel like William Duvall, he's a good he's a good play off of Jerry Cantrell. I think him and Jerry really have a good harmony, and that's what makes it work. So I will I will put them on this list, even though it's like it's not the, really the same Allison Chains. And it's I wouldn't say it's better because I would still rather listen to the first four albums with Lane Staley. But man, it is at least worth a one time listen to give it a shot. Um, okay. So since I'm, I'll just, I'll just throw this one out there real quick because this is, you know, this is another matter of opinion, but, um, uh, before I go, I'm going to throw out the fact that black Sabbath replacing Ozzy with Dio, I actually think and, and this is this is a hill I will die on, and for you know, to a lot of people, I know a lot of people will ar- argue with me on this one. Is I actually think the two albums that Dio put out there with Black Sabbath are superior to most of the Aussie stuff. I think the Aussie stuff, you have good songs here and there. I will never take anything away from Paranoid, Iron Man, War Pigs, stuff like that. But dude, you give the Dio, the Dio stuff. Listen, it is, it is so much better to me and it's really a shame he was only there for two albums i really would have loved to have seen what he could have done with them if they would have really just kind of gone with him for a long time because i know he left and then uh the lead former lead singer of deep purple came in and replaced him for a brief amount of time um and then of course eventually ozzy came back which i like ozzy but i think ozzy is so much better as a as the ozzy osborne than he is black sabbath lead singer but you can't take away his icon, you know, the iconic sound of of Ozzy in the front. But I think there's just not enough people who give the shot to the Ronnie James Dio stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll put it. I'll, I put the same thing though on on uh, Sammy Hagar for Van Halen. I love the music that Van Halen put out with David Lee Roth. I don't care for the vocals as much as I like. I would have. But then it went complete reverse, I guess, with Hagar because I like the vocals, but I really didn't like the way they went a little more ballady with him. I would have loved to have seen them take what they were doing with with Roth 
and translate it to Hagar. So you had that real rock feel with a real rock vocalist because David Lee Roth was, was trying to be a pop star. And I get it. He's, he's a, an amazing showman. It's just, I don't care for his vocals as much as I like Hagar, but that's, that's getting me on another tangent. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that one out there. Yeah. Ronnie James Dio replacing Ozzy is, is awesome. Like I think those two albums, uh, heaven and hell and mob rules are two of the better albums front to back of black Sabbath's career. Um, and on that controversial note to, to some people, I will, um, go ahead and say my thank yous to, uh, one, I'm a, even though they don't sponsor me, the Spotify for, you know, kind of in a way backdoor helping me find this topic, because if I didn't have Spotify, I wouldn't have been just blasting through full, uh, full discographies of bands. But, um, I'm also going to thank, I'll thank Michelle and Tony as always, you know, they're my people. They're my, you know, I may not always be vocal with them, but they mean, you know, their, their friendship and support has always meant a lot to me. So without the, without them, this, I wouldn't be trying this kind of stuff. Um, and then as usual, I'm going to thank spider for my artwork, both on my body and on my podcast. Um, by the time this comes out, I will probably already have had my next appointment. I am so excited. Um, you know, yeah, he, you know, if, if you're ever, if you're, you're in the, the, uh, the area of battleground, Washington, do yourself a service. If you want a tattoo, go to five star, they're not paying me. I am just but I will still shell their, their services as much as I can because all the artwork I've seen come out of five star has been amazing. So I don't care if you're getting spider Levon, or Amanda, you're getting good work. Sure. I go to spider because he started the work. I'll continue going to spider. Plus like he's a brother from another mother in many ways. Um, I mean, who else am I going to geek out about Funko pops while I'm getting, stabbed repeatedly with a tattoo gun anyways so thank you to spider and for for giving me my artwork for doing the artwork for me um and yeah and thank you guys for listening um you know i'm, I'm hoping last week's episode didn't scare people away because I, I opened up again about my depression but you know that's that's my own mental thing um so yeah, uh, I guess this is this is me about to to sign off. So uh, I will see you guys in a couple. I will speak to you guys in a couple weeks. I really, I really don't see you. Um. So yeah. So remember, if you're uh, if you got a if you've got any opinions, you can share them with me at standstrongcast at gmail um, so yeah, if you, if you have a thought on anything I've said today or any of my shows, please send me an email. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you have an opinion, remember 
Stand strong on it. Till then, see ya.